0: Last week, we talked about, I started kind of a short series on 10 things I would want every Christian to know. And I I said last week, most of these are things that if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, there's not like, oh, I never knew that, or wow, what groundbreaking stuff. And yet, at the same time, I think it's really valuable to have these reminders in our life of things that we know to help us to reevaluate our faith to look at our faith, to be honest with ourselves and say, I know I should be doing that. Am I really? Is that really taking place in my life? Is that really part of who I am? Is that really what I'm known for? And so as we get into these, it's my hope that not that you're going to go, oh, wow, this is such cutting-edge stuff, because I kind of do hope you already know it. But I do hope that you'll evaluate and say, I'm not doing this in my life, or I need to make sure that that's something that I know. Because it's not all about doing, it's a lot about knowing who we are in Christ. Knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. So the first thing we have today is this. Number one, God cares about your whole being. John three sixteen and 17 tells us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now here's where we're really getting into it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I found a lot of Christians in this world spend their time condemning instead of loving. Because it's a lot easier to say what I'm against than really live out what I'm for. So we become this group who we join this tribe, this camp, whatever, and we talk about the bad in every other situation instead of just saying, i got to love people no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. We are a complex people. We are not a flat people. In other words, we are created with a heart, a soul, a mind, and a body. Emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. All of these things matter to God. When one area is out of alignment, it affects the entire self. Here's an example. Um, I injured my back a few years ago, and I had to go see a chiropractor. And I actually first went to see the chiropractor because my left hip was hurting so bad, and my left leg would fall asleep, and I'd collapse. Like I'd be walking, and all of a sudden, it would give out. That's when I first started actually speaking from a stool, is I'd be standing up talking, and all of a sudden, my left leg would go. And one week, somebody thought I was having a stroke because I had to grab a hold of the little podium thing to hold myself up. And so at that point, I was like, when I couldn't walk or whatever without collapsing, I went to the doctor and said, there's something wrong with my hip. We did x-rays. It was a little tender to the touch. And finally, when we get around to it, I had a herniated disc in my back that was pinching a nerve, and that nerve ran down my leg, and that nerve would get pinched if I sat wrong, or if I stood wrong, if I stood too long, and my whole side would go numb. It had nothing to do with my hip. It had to do with my back. When my body wasn't in alignment, the pain was coming out here, not back here. The same is true of our spiritual walk. I can be super spiritual. But if the rest of my life is not in alignment, if the rest of it isn't lined up with who God created me to be, there's going to be a problem. And so I have to understand, God cares about all of me. The emotional, the mental, the physical, and the spiritual. He doesn't just want your spiritual being. He wants all of you. But because God cares about my whole being, that changes the way I live. That changes what I should be doing with my body. It changes what I watch and what I put into my mind. It changes the way I interact with people. It changes how far I'll push myself when I know that emotionally I'm spent. There was a time in my life that I never would have not taken a call from someone in the church. It didn't matter what the situation was. And now I know that after 10 o'clock... It has to be an emergency, so I let people leave messages, and I'll listen to my message, but if it's not an emergency, I'll wait till the next day to call back. Because I've learned I have emotional limits. And my emotions don't shut off at 10 p.m., but I need to learn to draw lines. I went 14 years without a day off. I would take vacations, but I didn't take a day off. I'd work perpetually, perpetually, perpetually until my next vacation. And my life became fatigued. And my body became fatigued. And I went through this series of emotional breakdowns, basically. And I got counseling. And they talked about my emotional health. And I was like, but spiritually I'm good. I still love Jesus and I still tell people about Jesus. But it wasn't enough to just say spiritually I'm good if my emotional was not healthy. Because what was I really able to give to people, which is what I've been called to do. I wasn't giving them... The best of what I had, I was giving them whatever dregs I could scrape out because I wasn't emotionally healthy. By learning to draw limits and set boundaries and find rest, not in an apathetic or in a lazy way, what I learned is I'm more effective. And God's love for me says, I need a Sabbath, as do you. Sabbath isn't unspiritual. It's not a 24-7, got to keep my nose to the grindstone, got to push it out, got to be a hustler, got to be doing something... You know what? We're called to be beings who need rest. To give of who we are and what we have and what we are, but then to find times where I go and I relax and I rest in him. God cares about your whole being. He doesn't just want as much as he can get out of you until you crash and burn. He wants you. His desire is for us to be complete. Though we are flawed, there's hope for us. And that hope comes when we learn to live in him. The second thing that we need to know as believers is we have to fulfill the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, starting at verse 37, tells us this. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Of these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This isn't Jesus making something up. This is Jesus quoting scripture. Jesus knows scripture well enough to actually quote it right there. And he's saying, you have to love all. In the process of fulfilling the great commission, which is to go and tell all the earth who I am, in the process of that, you have to love all. It's not enough for me to just tell people how to live their lives on Sunday if I'm not loving people throughout the week. If it just comes from a place of, well, I'm going to chalk this up, and I'm a jerk most of the time, but I'm a jerk for Jesus, that doesn't count. I've said a lot, many times I've said, one of the greatest things we can do for the church is just be a little bit less of a jerk. Because a lot of us, we see somebody as a target instead of a person to be loved and to be known. I spent a lot of my years trying to get to know my neighbors so that they'd come to my church. And when I figured out if they would or wouldn't, that's when the relationship would end. If they did, then it continued. But if it didn't, then I'd just go on to the next neighbor. Instead of learning to love my neighbors because they were people created in the image of God for a plan and a purpose that God has for their life, so love them whether they ever walk in the door. sometimes in our enthusiasm to share who christ is we look at the wrong emphasis as we age and mature and grow it becomes really easy to only have relationship within the church i believe in building relationship within this place i believe in building community because if you don't when you're in crisis who do we turn to who is our support system It's those that are within here, those who know us, those who love us, those who are willing to pray for us. But at the same time, we've got to understand that I still need to be loving people outside these walls. I need to support and encourage and promote the gospel and who Jesus is. That needs to be part of my life. And that has to happen outside. But then I know that I can come back here Find refuge, encouragement, and support myself. One of the most shocking statistics to me is that only 14% of all pastors in a given year invite somebody to church. I think that shocks me because I invite people to church all the time because I believe in it. But I'll tell people, oh, if you're too, f- I mean, I'll talk to people and I'll send them to other churches. When well, we've had people move and, you know, we we had a lot of families move this past school year, kind of all over the state of Washington as well as out of state And every one of them, I said, "Let me. Where are you living? Let me send you a name of a church or of a pastor." I'd make calls, I'd send emails, trying to find some place where I thought they would fit, because I believe in the, I believe in the idea of we are the church and we are a community. At the same time, I got to invite people if I really believe that. And too often times, we're afraid to invite people. We don't want to seem weird. We don't want to seem overzealous. And I think a lot of times, pastors don't do it because they think. I don't want to seem self-serving. But I think there's something really valuable in loving people, not because of what they're going to do, but I also think there's something of great value in inviting somebody to come and join you at church. Whether that's because we're doing a picnic on the lawn or a special event, or whether it's just a Sunday and you know that they've got a lot going on in their life. Many people in here probably couldn't even tell you who invited you to church the first time. You don't necessarily recall who or what. But most of us, unless you were born into this church, which I don't see too many of you young enough to be born into this church, and I'm picking on you, but let's just be honest. Most of you were invited by somebody at some point. Somebody, it was a friend, somebody you were, considering. maybe it was even the person you were dating, I don't know. But somebody said, come. You should come and check us out. Come and see us. Whether it was an explicit or an implicit invitation, let's be the people who love without condition, but who invite because we see something of value. Third thing that I think all believers need to know is love others who believe differently. Um sometimes it becomes really easy to get in our camp, our tribe, our group. I like them because they think like me, agree with me politically, sportically, I don't know, however you say it. They like my same sports teams. They like the things that I like, and so they get to be my friend, and they can be a part of what I do. But I think it's really valuable to love others who are differently different than us. Um, Good Samaritan is the classic story, Luke ten, twenty five through thirty seven, jot that down. But it's it's this Who is your neighbor? Who is the one who does good? They don't have to be like me. Whether they're Christians of another church denomination, or those who are completely lost, or those who maybe even believe something that you would consider completely off the scale of what we believe. It becomes difficult when we see people of maybe a false religion and we know that it's wrong. We're called to love them anyway. Called to love them for who they are as a human created in the image of God. And it's my job to let the Holy Spirit shine through and work through me. And I have friends who don't agree with what how I live or what I believe. And I'm okay with that. Because it's not my job to persuade and change their mind. It's my job to love them and let the Holy Spirit work in them. I pray for them. I pray that they'll see the truth. But that's not our only topic of conversation. Let's love others who believe differently because they're created in the image of God. Number four, seek ways for genuine growth. This is a lot about what we're called to do. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us this. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Another scripture I share quite often. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I need to read my Bible? So I can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I need to be in fellowship with other believers? I've told you many times, I didn't make up this theory, but I'm a firm believer in it. You cannot know God outside of community. It doesn't mean you can't be saved, but you cannot fully know who God is unless you're in the midst of people. St. John of the Cross in the 1400s went into the wilderness to go on a spiritual pilgrimage, and he comes back and goes, well, the first thing I learned is you can't know God when you're on your own in the middle of the wilderness. You can know about God. You can have a glimpse of God. You can have a picture of God. But to know God, I've got to learn to love the people on my left and my right. Because when I learn to love the people on my left and my right, when I learn to love the people around me, I'm beginning to understand and to know who God is. Because God is love. And if God is love, and I really believe that, and if I'm really going to walk that out, then I have to deal with people that are sometimes hard to deal with. I have to deal with people who disagree with me. I have to deal with people who don't look like me, act like me, talk like me. And I have to learn to do that in a giving and gracious way. And that can be very difficult. That can be something that takes me a lifetime to learn. But the beauty is, I've got that lifetime. I need to learn. I need to be in Bible study with other people, small groups with other people, times of prayer with other people, personal devotion, individually as well as corporately. Making a connection with God weekly part of my priority. If I really want to know who God is, if I really want to grow in this faith that I say I own, that I say I live, that I say is my life. If I want to grow in that, then I have to do something. And again, it's not about always doing, but it's about what is my goal? My goal is to be like Christ. I call myself a Christian, which means a follower of Christ. Originally, just so you know, it was used as a derogatory term for the early century believers. It wasn't a term of, oh, wow, they're a really strong Christian. It was like, oh, look, they are a Christian because these people set themselves apart and lived differently. And yet Paul tells us it doesn't matter if we're taken advantage of because of the cross, because people will hate you because of the cross, but live differently. Live in such a way that people want to know what is it about you. Live in such a way that people are motivated and inspired and moved and challenged. And it's not my job to get anybody saved, and it's not your job to get anybody saved. It's your job and my job to love people and trust the Holy Spirit to get them there. But I do that when I live differently from the rest of the world. And too often times, I don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to be the one that stands out. I grew up in a church where we weren't allowed to do anything I grew up in a church that was about as legalistic as you can imagine. And yet, that's not what he calls us to do. Doesn't call us to separate ourselves from the world, but calls us to be a light in that darkness. Genuine growth is about becoming a light in the darkness, not about running away from the darkness. What does that look like in your place of business? What does that look like in your neighborhood? What does that look like in your circle of friends? Final thing, and this is my own personal thing, that I think Christians should do is I think you should find a mentor, and I think you should become a mentor. I think Jesus showed us the practice best He spends three years with 12 people. The percentage results aren't real great. They deny him. They doubt him. They betray him. They hide when he comes back. So that's maybe not the greatest discipleship program, but he had something going on. He tried. But in reality, I think some of us have something to offer. The reason I say you as leaders in our church should be involved in Sunday school for instance in our children's ministry, in our nursery being a mentor being a discipler doesn't have to be some grandiose thing, it means I'm willing to give up my time to spend with those who need it I was a youth pastor for 17 years it was a long time it's really what I always thought I'd do the rest of my life. And in that seventeen years I was blessed to see multiplication of our group and growth. And I would have people that would come and say, I want to be a part, I want to be a leader and I'd tell, I'd say, Well, come out and I'd show them and then after a few weeks I'd go, You can't do this. This isn't a just I'm gonna show up and be here for ninety minutes. This is a, I'm going to give my life and who I am to a bunch of other people. And I believe that more in the adolescent years than any other age group, that we have to do that. And I would have people get mad because they were like, well, what do you mean I'm not cut out? You're not cut out for it. Because it's not just show up. It's put your life into them, which means giving of yourself. That's what mentoring is. It's not just come and sit at my feet while I tell you all my knowledge. Nobody needs that. What they need is for you to check in on them throughout the week, for you to love them, for you to go out of your way to serve them. That's what a mentor is. Not the person who sits up and is a guru and departs bits of knowledge like a fortune cookie salesman. But the person who gives everything they are to someone else, so that that person can see and learn and understand who God is. That's being a mentor. If you want to see another good relationship with this, look at what Paul does for Timothy. We have letters that he wrote him, but time and time again, he's supporting Timothy in what Timothy is doing. The larger scale things, being together on a Sunday morning, being in a small group even, those are great for your growth. I believe in those. But if you want to move your life to the next level, develop a mentor relationship. And if you want to be a mentor, prepare to give all that you are and all that you, everything that defines you. You have to give that away to see if people will take that. In 17 years, I often question whether or not I was ever successful as a youth pastor. And here's the only thing I can go back to. I have all these kids who I had a relationship with that walked away from God. I have all these kids who, they're not in the church anymore. Kids who have actually renounced, basically, their Christianity. But here's what I know. They're still my friends. I still have a relationship with them. And in 17 years, I put 35 kids into ministry. I say kids. I was 22 when I became a youth pastor. Some of them were almost my age. The largest four-square church in Nebraska, not a big state, but a fun state, the largest four-square church in Nebraska is pastored by a kid who came out of my youth group. He took a church of 20 people and it runs 700 now. I have kids who came out of my youth group that are now professors at the Bible college that I once went to. They came out of my group and somehow they wove their way through in spite of what I did and they made it through. I have worship pastors that came out of my church. I have senior pastors that came out of my church. I have youth pastors that came out of my church. I have missionaries that came out. Professors at a Bible college. And I don't say that because, oh Jeff, you're so great, because there were literally thousands that I had in my youth group over the years. But because I was willing to give of who I was and everything I knew and really everything I had, because I was willing to do that their lives were changed, and they're changing the lives of other people. If we're willing to find a mentor and be a mentor, it will change your very vision of what ministry is about. Some people think ministry is about standing up and speaking. This is such an unimportant part even of what we do on Sunday mornings. This is the part that's supposed to help challenge you, inspire you, or motivate you, and give you hope from one week to the next. But if this was all it was about, then I would scrap all the breakfasts and lunch I do all week and just sit in my office and study. What it's really about is my relationship with individual people so that they can see God more and so that I can understand who God is better. Anybody can come and impart knowledge. We could just get a giant computer. It's way smarter. and it could just spout off things. But relationship is how we come into, relationship with one another, is how we come into deeper relationship with God. And that is what following Jesus is all about. It's not a big list of rules. It's not about what to do and not to do. It's about becoming more of who he created you to be and in the process becoming more like him. If we can take the 10 things that I talked about the last two weeks and really take them to heart and really begin to work on them. Some of them you look and you go, yeah, I'm already doing that. Others you might go, I really need to work on that. But I'm not selling a program today. I'm not saying, now you have to sign up for this. I'm not even promoting ministries that we already have. I'm saying, I want for your life to be more than what it is right now. And it's not because I don't love you or that you're not enough, because I do. I love you, and you are enough, but I love you so much that I want to see God working in and through you in incredible ways. So the questions to ask is, these are the questions I was asking is, why does my faith really need to go to a deeper level? That sounds scary. What practices do I personally, and you have to ask this for yourself, need to put in place that I'm not doing. What does vibrant faith look like in my life? So in your life, because it's going to look different for you than it does for me. It's going to look different for an attorney than it does for a plumber, for a doctor than it does for a school bus driver, all of which are in the kingdom of God, all of which are valuable, all of which are needed and loved. It's going to look different for a mom than it does for a dad. It's going to look different for a husband than it does for a wife. It's going to look different in your parent relationship than it maybe does in your child relationship. Those relationships that we have, it's going to look different. But what does this look like? What does a vibrant living faith look like? Where I'm not shoving things down people's throats, but I'm also not compromising what I believe because of how difficult it is. It's not about being a good Christian or a bad Christian. There's no such thing. Either you're a follower of Christ doing your best, or you're not a follower of Christ. Only you can really answer that question. But, if I believe that God wants more for me, then how is my life going to look different? Again, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question for yourself. What I know is he tells us in scripture over and over. Let's be like the Father. Let's know the Father. The one who sent me. Jesus keeps pointing it back to God. Let's know him. Let's be like him. Let's be like the one who sent me. That's a beautiful picture. To strive to be like him. Father God, I thank you for the congregation of Gathering Place. God, in the midst of everything going on in our life, the good times, the bad times, the the uncertainty about jobs or our future and the excitement for what you're bringing to us. God, may we know you more, see you more. May we become more like you. May we do both the hard and things that we need to do and the difficult things that we need to do. And may we also just love well. I thank you for every person who's in this congregation. God, for those who are ill, I pray for healing. For those who have struggled emotionally and spiritually, I pray that you would draw them back. Draw them close to you. For those who are struggling with loneliness and isolation, Lord, let them know your presence and peace. God, for those who are dealing with fear and anxiety, bring them comfort that only your Holy Spirit can bring. God, for those who are in need of financial provision. I pray for that, God, for for a job or for a better job. Open those doors. Let them see that. We thank you and praise you for all that you're doing in us and through us and our congregation. May we impact our community in a real way in your name. Amen. I want to again say we do have, as James mentioned, we have an extra four or five tickets for today's game. Please, uh, if you're interested in going, join us. We would love to have you there. and if you or someone you know is interested in um, a part-time job, our administrative assistant, Carissa, is going back to school full-time. And as she leaves us, that leaves a gap in our, in our administrative assistant position. It's uh, three days a week. I'd be glad to talk to you more about it. I've put it in the weekly email, so if you get that, you can see a few of the details. It's um, set hours, but if that would work in your life and your schedule, and you have administrative gifts and skills we would love to consider you for a part-time position here at the church. So just consider that. We'll see you all next week. Have a great week.